conversations with God, the first few words come easy. But where do we go from there? What could help prayer feel fresh, authentic, honest, fulfilling? What if the inspiration we need has been here for us all along? Friends, if I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King Church. Before we get too far, I just want you to look at your neighbor. Tell them they look good. We're lifting people up here this morning. We're going to be an encouragement. But I actually want to start today with a quick update. We've had quite an exciting few weeks in the Barron's household. And instead of just telling you what has been up, I actually want to read to you something that I wrote three weeks ago and posted onto Facebook. And so here's what I said. I said, here's the story. I've been feeling off the past two weeks. I had a sore throat, cough, fatigue, headaches. I lost my voice, and last week I was blessed with a pretty sweet case of bacterial conjunctivitis, better known as pink eye, that had me looking like Bob Costas at the 2014 Olympics. So we can see... This is what we were dealing with at the time. If you don't know the Bob Costas thing, do yourself a favor and Google it and get a nice giggle. It's awesome. So my response to all this, though, was to drink more coffee and power through. Fast forward to Tuesday, I left my house, or I left work at noon because I wasn't feeling well. I drove home and immediately hopped in bed with two sweatshirts on and three blankets covering me and proceeded to shake and shiver uncontrollably for the next two hours because I felt hypothermic. I tried walking to the bathroom but almost passed out. I ended up crawling to the bathroom, turning on the hot water as hot as it would go and laying on the floor of the shower trying to stay awake. Kristen came in and checked on me a couple minutes later. That's my wife, and as soon as she saw me, she said, we're going to the hospital. She said that my entire body was gray. When we got to the ER, I walked inside, and after taking one look at me, they immediately brought me a wheelchair and rushed me into the triage room where I promptly lost consciousness and fell out of my wheelchair. I was out for about a minute, and when I woke up, there were 20-ish hospital staff standing over me, hooking up IVs, asking questions, and working frantically to get my body out of what's called a septic state. After spending two days in the hospital, they figured out that in addition to pink eye, I had two different viruses that we didn't know about and a case of bacterial pneumonia. Making matters worse, I had severe dehydration, and apparently the run that I'd forced myself to go on that morning wasn't such a good idea after all. In fact, it was probably the thing that pushed my body past what it could handle and started a domino reaction that resulted in what's called sepsis. So that's the short version. In equation form, it's pneumonia plus a couple of viruses plus an eye infection plus dehydration plus a poorly timed run equals sepsis. I even brought a picture a couple days into my hospital recovery. And here's my takeaway. This is what I said. If I had one word to summarize how I feel in this moment, it would be this. It would be thankful. God's fingerprints have so clearly been on this story from the start. I'm thankful that Kristen checked on me when she did. I'm thankful that I passed out in the ER instead of the shower. I'm thankful that our friend DL dropped everything and met us at the hospital to take our kids. I'm thankful that our kids didn't have to see me lose consciousness. I'm thankful for parents who would hop on a plane from Alaska the second that they heard something wasn't going well. And a mom who somehow snuck into my hospital room even though visiting hours were over. 
I'm thankful for doctors and nurses who saved me and served me with skill and kindness. I'm thankful for every step of this process, even though there's been moments that have been scary, that I've experienced what can only be described as an unexpected sense of peace. And last but not least, I was literally moved to tears with thankfulness when I think of all the texts and prayers and encouragements and DoorDash gift cards and generous offers to bring food, help the kids, help around the house, and so much more that we received over the last 72 hours. Your kindness and care mean more than you'll ever know. I said, so thank you for praying. Thank you for reaching out and thank you for making me feel so loved. I appreciate it more than words can say. And I closed it with this. If you need me this week, just know that I'll be in my bed doing the doctor-prescribed breathing exercises, trying not to online shop all the 4th of July sales and seeing how far I can get in the show suits, which for the record has been a revelation for me. And I'm happy to report that I've been healing up nicely. I've only spent $65 on 4th of July sales and I finished season six of Suits last night at about 11.30. And it's just rocking my world right now. But I share all this for two reasons. One, because we're family and I wanted you to know. And two, because I can honestly say I've never felt more covered, more cared for, more loved than I did when I heard that there were literally people that were on their knees begging God to heal me when I didn't have the strength to pray for myself. I share that because I've learned, if anything, over the last month, it's this, that prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. You have no idea the gift that that can be to somebody who needs it. And right now we're in the middle of this series that's about prayer that we're calling Dear God. And I want you to know that it's not a series that's just saying that you got to pray more. It's a series about opening up our eyes to what prayer can be. I love what Pastor Carrie said a couple weeks ago. She said, I love prayer, but I love God more. Which is to say, I love prayer, but not because prayer can save me, but because God can save me, and prayer is the thing that connects me to him. Prayer is the source, or it connects us to the source. God is the source. I love prayer not because of what prayer can do for me, but because of what God can do in and through me through prayer. And this summer, we're not here to make a big deal of prayer. We're here to make a big deal of God and talk about all the ways we can connect ourselves to him through the medium of prayer. Amen? Amen. So I want to get to today's scripture, but before we do, I want to pray. So Holy Spirit, God, thank you. God, that when we speak to you, you listen. God, that the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Elohim, the Almighty One, listens and cares about all of the intricate details of our life. God, this morning we were praying, I was saying, God, thank you that you're the God of the big, but thank you that you're the God of the small, that you know every single story represented in this room and online. God, that you know every single detail, some that we don't even know about ourselves. God, thank you that you have given us this gift of just access that makes no sense to me, but God, all I can say is thank you. God, thank you that prayer isn't something that you need, but it's a way that we can connect and actually access all of you. God, we thank you for this gift. God, help it to not be this thing that we have to do or this checklist item, but God, would it be just a simple opportunity to encounter our creator? God, thank you. We love you. This is all for you. God, give us the 
the boldness to hear what it is that you have for us today. God, and the humility to actually walk it out. This is all for you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. And if you've got a Bible, you can follow along with us. We're going to be looking at a parable where Jesus talks about two men who go to a temple to pray. And just a note before we get into it, a lot of parables are Jesus responding to a question that somebody has or that somebody's asked. But in this particular parable, Jesus uh, isn't responding to a question. There's been no question asked. What Jesus does is he actually sees something in these people heart, people's hearts that needs to be challenged and checked. And out of the great love for them, he tells them this story. So scripture says this, starting in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I have. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So let's start at the beginning here. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So this is the audience that Jesus is speaking to. This is how the story gets framed. Apparently, Jesus is in a room with a bunch of people who think pretty highly of themselves. So I don't know if you know this about me. I've been married coming up on 10 years. And a couple uh, months ago, my wife told me maybe the sweetest thing that she's ever said to me. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where somebody just gives you this gift. It's the thing that you didn't even know that you needed until you heard it, but it was one of those moments. She looked at me and here's what she said. She said, honey, you're right. (laughs) And I about fell over because I think I've heard those words maybe four times in the last decade. I said, excuse me. She said, I've been thinking about it, and you're right. And immediately my chest swelled up, and I started strutting around like a peacock. I tried to get her to say it a third time so I could pull out my phone and record it and use it as a ringtone forever. But she wasn't having that. She shut it down pretty quick. And to be honest, I don't even remember what I was right about. All that I know is that for one glorious moment, I was right, and it was magnificent. It was better than I could ever articulate. And I'm calling today's message, you're right. In fact, why don't you make your neighbors weak right now? Why don't you look at them and say, you know what? You're right. You're right. Doesn't that feel good? You know, J.R. Tolkien once argued that the two most beautiful words in the English language are the words cellar door. I love J.R. Tolkien, really, I do, The Hobbit's great, but I couldn't disagree more because I know from experience that the two most beautiful words in the English language are the words, you're right, you're right. 
But here's the problem. Dallas Willard said it like this. He said, one of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. So there's this tension at play because we have an insatiable appetite to be right. And yet most of us don't know how to hold rightness without leaving behind a trail of destruction. We don't know how to wield the gift that we've been given in those moments where we find ourselves in the right. And this is the exact tension that Jesus is speaking into with this parable. If I had to summarize it with a single sentence, I would say that the parable is about this. It's showing us that there's a wrong way to be right and a right way to be wrong. There's a wrong way to be right and a right way to be wrong. So that's what this parable is about. Even though it's about prayer, I really think that it's about the posture that we take towards God. Jesus is showing us to be made right with God has less to do with what we do and more to do with how we position ourselves at the foot of the cross. This parable is made up of two prayers. The first prayer is the prayer of the Pharisee. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Such a beautiful prayer, isn't it? But before we judge him, I just want to remind us of this, because we love to just make Pharisees small and turn them into a one-dimensional enemy in the Bible and an enemy of God. But I need you to know this about Pharisees. The Pharisees loved the Word of God. They knew more of it than you do. They were devoted to the Word of God. They dedicated their entire lives to following God. You and I have Ten Commandments that we try to follow, but the Pharisees had 613 rules that they literally organized their entire lives around. They did everything in their power to live a life worthy of the call that God had put on them. And in general, they were respected and held as high esteem in their communities. So I know that we love to make the Pharisees a punching bag of the Bible, but it's not that easy because they weren't bad people. They were well-intentioned people who had their priorities out of order. I wonder if that's ever happened to you. The Pharisee prays, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like them. I thank you that I'm not like these other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or like this tax collector. Just a couple thoughts on this prayer. The first thought is this. Friends, finding something wrong in others doesn't make something right in you. Finding something wrong in others doesn't make something right in you. Fun fact about me, I like reality TV. I grew up watching The Bachelor with my mom, and so uh, to this day, I find myself, if something's on, I, I have a tendency to, 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 to be okay if it stays on. I'm not changing the channel, if you know what I'm talking about. If that offends you, you can go ahead and send the email to hotmail.com as per usual. <laughs> but here's my best guess as to why I like reality TV. I think I like it because I like watching other people make bad decisions because it makes me feel better about my decisions. <laughs> I think I like watching other people make mistakes because if I can find something wrong with them, it distracts me from what's wrong with me. And by the way, this is why gossip is such an easy trap to fall in. It just feels so good, doesn't it, to just identify and articulate and to connect with somebody else about something wrong in them. And even though we're pushing them down, it feels like we're propping ourselves up and we come out of the situation better even though it's completely the opposite 
You see, what I do is when I do something wrong, when I lie, when I lose my temper, when I judge somebody, rather than looking in the mirror, it's much easier to just start a list of all the people who I believe have messed up worse than myself. Instead of looking inward, I say, Lord, thank you that I am not like them. The robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, I could add a couple other names to this list. I could say, I thank you that I'm not like the 49ers fans. The, the telemarketers, the Android users that ruin group chats for the rest of us, and people who like cats. God, thank you that I'm not wrong like they are. And what I'm trying to get you to see, though, friends, is that this prayer isn't about a hypothetical Pharisee back then. It's actually about the Pharisee in me. It's about the Pharisee in you. Jesus is warning us, don't get distracted by the speck in somebody else's eye if you've got a log in yours. Instead, pray like David did in Psalm 139 when he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in your way everlasting. It's like we need to hear that again. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus is saying calling other people wrong doesn't make you right. Calling other people stupid doesn't make you smart. He said, I didn't give you the answer. I didn't give you my love so that you could look down on others. I gave it to you so that you could get down with others and begin to lift them up. Amen? Second thought is this, God's not impressed with your resume. The Pharisee continues his prayer in verse 12. It says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. And I think it's funny because this is where the prayer ends. This is his closing thoughts, his closing statement. He starts by saying, thank you that I'm not like these other people. And then he ends it by saying, let me remind you of all the great things that I've done for you, Lord. I don't want you to forget, Lord, that a couple times a week I refrain from eating for you. I don't want you to forget that a tenth of everything that you have given me, I, I gave back to you. Don't forget how awesome I am, Lord. But I'm here today to tell you that God's not impressed with your resume. He's not impressed with your righteous acts. In Isaiah 64, it says, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Friends, that's not what he's after. He's not after your striving. He's actually after your heart. Right now, my, my two girls, Brooklyn and Addison, are really into crafting and coloring. They love to color things and make things and do all sorts of things. The other day, I was watching Addison. She was drawing, and I said, oh, sweetheart, what a beautiful picture of vegetables. Is that a picture of carrots? And she says, no, Daddy, it's a picture of you. I looked at her and I said, thank you, sweetheart. That is so cute. And friends, I'm here today to tell you that at best, your hard work, your striving, your good deeds, your greatest successes on the outside are just that. They are cute in the eyes of the Heavenly Father. Your business, I don't care how big it is, is cute when it comes to actually comparing it to who God is. We gotta think about who are we trying to impress here? He is not impressed by our striving. 
He's impressed when we can lay all of that down and see clearly what truly matters in this life. Friends, God is not impressed with your resume. He's not impressed with what you do. He's in love with who you are, but the Pharisee can't see it. So he keeps putting other people down, putting them into the category of others and flaunting what he feels like he's offered to the king. And once the Pharisee gets done praying, we get to hear the prayer of a tax collector. And here's what you need to know about tax collectors. They were universally despised. They made their money by extorting their own families and communities. They were the opposite of Robin Hood. They were the ones stealing from the poor to give to the rich and lining their pockets along the way. So even the mention of a tax collector would have collectively just made them roll their eyes in disgust. And yet when it's time for this tax collector to pray, it says he stood at a distance, he wouldn't even look up to heaven, and he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I love this prayer because the tax collector knows he's wrong. He's not hiding it. He's not denying it. He's not looking for excuses. He's simply wrecked in the presence of God, not even able to look up to the heavens. And he says, God, have mercy on me. And to that, Jesus says, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm calling you to. It's not to pretend to be tall. It's actually to admit that there is nothing that we have to offer except to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and just pray a simple prayer, Lord, have mercy on us. There's a couple things that we can learn from this prayer. The first thing is this, it's okay to pray short. Summer, we're just talking through this lens of what is prayer and man, maybe it's bigger, maybe it's more expansive, maybe it's more beautiful than we ever knew. It's okay to pray short. There's this pastor down in Portland named Tyler Staten, and his church did a series on prayer a few years back, and he gave a sermon called Pray As You Can. He said, pray as you can. He said, if you can't pray for an hour, if you've never done that before, then don't try today. It'll feel like an eternity. Pray for a minute. Pray as you can. He said, if you can't concentrate when you pray out loud, then journal your prayers with paper and pens. Pray as you can. He said, if you can't pray adoration, then don't fake it. Pray your frustrations, pray your fears, and pray your failures. Pray as you can. He said, if you can't pray with hope and faith, then don't. God's not bothered by that. Pray to him about your doubts and your disappointments. Pray as you can. And if you don't know what to pray, then simply start by saying, God, I don't know what to pray, and I promise he'll meet you in the beautiful moment of honesty. Pray as you can. And finally, if you can't pray long, that's okay. Don't pray short. Because some of the most powerful prayers are oftentimes the shortest. God, I need your help. God, help. God, I don't know what to do. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Friends, I'm here today to tell you that sometimes lessons more when it comes to prayer. We've got to realize that it's okay to pray short. The second thing that we can learn is this. It's okay to pray honest. 
You know, last week, Pastor Grant said, if there's one appeal that we can make, let it be this. Pray honest. God can handle it. Friends, God can handle it. He's not surprised with whatever it is that you're bringing to the table. He's already there. He's waiting for you to catch up. Instead of looking for excuses when we fall down, what if we looked inside our hearts and said, start with me, Lord. Create a clean heart in me, O Lord. Because I know that at the center of all of my problems, there's a common denominator, and it's me. I am not completely innocent in all this. So God, will you help me to see what it is that we can work on so that I can actually get back to being a blessing in this world? And I know that the closer that I get to seeing what's truly broken in my heart, the closer that I get to you, because you're not afraid of what's real. You're in the real with me. Friends, we gotta pray honest. And finally, we've got to pray humble. This story is so compelling. This Jesus is so compelling because here comes a tax collector. And he couldn't have been more wrong if he tried. He was corrupt. He was immoral. He was selfish. He was despicable. He was vindictive. He was dishonest and he was broken. And yet when he left the temple that day, scripture says that this man rather than the other was justified before God. Friends, what this story shows us is that there's a right way to be wrong and there's a wrong way to be right. And when it comes to having a right way to be wrong, it's to come to God with simple humility with simple prayers. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I saw this quote on Facebook the other day. It says, be teachable. You're not always right. The story ends with Jesus saying in Luke 18, verse 14, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And it says it a little bit different, but it's the same sentiment in James chapter 4. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I was studying this idea of humility this, this week, and this word humble is so fascinating to me because it's from the Latin word humus. And that word humus is actually the word that means soil, ground, earth. It's also the word uh, that it, it's a root word for the words man, Adam, and clay. So, so to me, when I look at it, it's almost as if humility and humanity were always meant to be one and the same. Reminds me of Genesis where it says, we're created from dust and to dust we will return. Pastor Erwin McManus said it like this. He says, we become humble when we're most human and we're most human when we walk in humility. A couple months ago, I was at a conference about preaching, and one of the speakers said, the world doesn't need any more cool churches or preachers. What it needs is more Jesus. What it needs is more preachers who know that they're not the answer, and they know that Jesus is. What it needs is more preachers who are willing to get out of the way so that people can see once and for all the beauty that is God's mercy over their life. What it needs is more people who are willing to say less of me and more of you, God. Because that is the precipice, that is the place where we are most grounded and most powerful. Because the truth is, friends, we have nothing to boast in but the grace of God in our lives. One of my favorite verses and chapters is Ephesians 2. And in verse 4 and 5 it says, But God, 
being rich in mercy. Again, that's, that's what he's called upon. That's what the tax collector said. He says, God, have mercy on me. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy. This is great news for those of us who need mercy. It says, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were, it wasn't bad. It's worse than that. It says, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And friends, this is the good news of the gospel. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But because of the great love of God and because of his richness of mercy, we have been made alive together in Christ. Amen? I want to close with this simple idea. You know, every once in a while, I, I have to take a picture with people who are taller than I am. And uh, I don't know what you do when you're in the back row next to some people who are vertically uh, gifted, but, but I do this thing here where I go up on my tiptoes and I try and show with my face that I'm not straining to pretend to be taller than I really am. And I guess what I want you to, to see is the simple truth that I'm actually never easier to knock down than when I'm trying to pretend to be taller than I am. I'm never more unstable than I am when I'm straining to be more than I was made to be. But here's what I've been learning is that the lower that I get the harder it is to knock me down I remember this song it says that I touched the sky when my knees touched the ground we are humus we are of the earth we were called to not a posture of pretending to be taller than we really are. We're called to the posture where we boast in our weakness so that God can actually show his perfect power through our lives. God, we're not called to be impressive people. We are called to be a people who are impressed with God and who are impressed enough to actually focus our attention and focus ourselves at the foot of the cross on our knees, begging God with simple prayers, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is our position of power, my friends. It's not when we're proud, it's when we're humble. This is what God has invited us into. It's not a life of putting others down. It's not a life of bringing our resume forward, say, God, look at all the things that I've done. It's a life of replanting and replanting and putting our knees down once and for all and saying, God, I have nothing to offer except for my praise. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let me pray for you, Holy Spirit. God, thank you that you are not a God who says one thing and does another, God, that if we need to look for an example of humility, we have to look no further than to the story of you. God, that you came down from heaven, God, for us, even though we didn't deserve it, God, and you took a posture of humility. So God, teach us to be like that. Teach us not to otherize. Teach us not to talk down. Teach us to lift one another up. God, through being humble, God, through your spirit, we love you, Lord, and this is all for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna ask you now, we're gonna respond with the song, and you can remain seating, but if the Lord prompts you, you can actually get down on your knees because this is the most grounded and rooted that we can be. 
when our knees are on the ground and our hands outstretched, ready to receive from God, when we say a simple prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So feel free to allow this song to be sung over you, but if you feel prompted, I do wanna invite you to get on your knees and sing about God's amazing grace in your life.